Well, today would be the, today is the, the third and final week in which we're going to be uh, giving our, our primary attention in the book of 1 John to this theme of light that we've been talking about. Um, so just kind of by way of recap, remember two weeks ago we talked about how, well, I highlighted John's uh, statement in chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light. God is light. He is goodness. He is truth. Those are the things that, that light stands for. Falsehood, evil, those things exist, but not in God. Because God is light. There's no darkness in him. And last week, uh, we were reminded of two things, really. One, we're born into darkness, and without Jesus, we live in darkness. But then the other thing we talked about was to the glory of God, through Jesus, we are, we can be brought from darkness into light. That was last week. And now today, we're going to spend our time focused on the incompatibility between darkness and light, between God and evil, especially. Our attention really turns to our life after we've been brought into the light through Jesus. Now, now before we look at John's letter, I want to, to think about a story that he records for us in his gospel. So in, uh, at the beginning of John chapter 8, we're told there that Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders. Uh, they, those leaders brought to him a woman who was found to be guilty of committing adultery. Now those leaders were, I mean, their concern was with Jesus, how Jesus would respond to the situation. They weren't really concerned about the woman that they brought to him. Jesus, however, did focus upon her, was concerned with her. And, and as the scene then unfolds, Jesus states that, okay, well, well anyone who's without sin, you're, you're free to, to cast the first stone in condemnation of her. And of course, no one there, apart from Jesus himself, no one there was without sin, so, so they all gradually begin to leave. Eventually, it's just Jesus and the woman alone there. Everybody else has departed. I mean, Jesus had effectively shown that every person present in the crowd was guilty of sin. And it's at this point, then, that, that Jesus turns to the woman and offers her forgiveness. Forgiveness rather than condemnation, right? That's what the religious leaders had in mind when they brought her to Jesus. Well, Jesus offered forgiveness. And in that scene, boy, we see, we see a great microcosm of, of what Jesus does for, for you and me. He offers us forgiveness in place of condemnation, forgiveness in him. He offers to bring us from darkness into light. And I want to make sure that we take note of the full statement that Jesus makes to the woman. And I want to highlight Jesus' words by, maybe by first reminding us of what Jesus didn't say to her. Okay? He didn't say to the woman, neither do I condemn you. Now, since obviously no one is able to, li to live uh, free from sin, just kind of go do whatever. I mean, because he had proved that no one there was sinless, but Jesus didn't speak those words to her. 
Instead, Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What Jesus is saying to her is that while she was a sinner, she was that, she's now been forgiven, and sin no longer has a place within her life. She's been taken from darkness into light, and darkness no longer has a place in her life. So, so what John highlights through a story in his gospel, he also affirms in the letter that we've been studying, and, and that's what's going to be the focus of our time today. So, so again, we'll be in, be in the book of 1 John. And before we read the passages uh, for this morning, I, I want to just give a quick refresher about what's called Gnostic thinking, which was present during uh, the time of the early church. So, so Gnosticism was, was this formal belief system. It, it, it really came into dominance in the second century, like the century after the letters in the New Testament were written, but, but the, the foundational beliefs were already present in, in the churches, and, and John and Paul really write um, in response to that quite often. Gnosticism was this way of thinking that, that is identified by a couple of trademark understandings. One is that the goal of man, the purpose of man, is to increase in the knowledge of God, the truth about God. Like, that's the purpose, to know more knowledge, know more truth about God. The more knowledge one possesses about God, the thinking was that the closer to God one becomes. The more knowledge one possesses about God, the more respect a person ought to be shown because of their closeness to God, supposed closeness to God. And, and really, in an attempt to convince others of one's high level of knowledge, one might claim to be without sin or, or above sin, right? To admit sin would be to admit a lower level of knowledge about God. So if I claim that I don't have sin, well, that's, that's showing that I sure know a lot about who God is. And much of what we talked about last week really addressed that first way of thinking. John is clear in his letter. To, he says that, that to say we have no sin is to deceive ourselves. To say we are without sin is to show that the truth is not in us, is what John writes. So that's one of the hallmarks of Gnosticism. But the second hallmark is, is believing that mankind is made of two parts that battle against each other the physical and the spiritual. Mankind is made of both, but they are in conflict. So the physical is seen as evil, and the goal is to rise above it, to shed it, push it to the side. The, the spiritual is seen as good, and the goal is to focus on it and, and, and grow it through knowledge, especially. Now, that way of thinking can can lead to the belief that well, then the physical body is just going to be done away with, be left behind, so it doesn't really matter what I do with it. Physical actions aren't important because this, this body is just, just going to be done. Um, they're, they're seen as completely disconnected from the spirit, the actions done in the physical body. You know, nothing done in the body can harm the enlightened person would be another way to, to think about it. And so as a result, it was proclaimed that physical actions just didn't matter. They weren't important in the grand scheme of things. Well, today we're going to focus on John's words that show the error of that second belief, 
that second hallmark of Gnosticism. I mean, if physical actions didn't matter, then, then Jesus had no business telling the woman in John chapter 8 to sin no more. I mean, really, all that would have mattered would be, did you grow in your knowledge of me through this experience? And if so, great, on you go. I mean, that, in, in the Gnostic way of thinking, that's really all that would have been important. But as Jesus showed, her actions did matter. That's why he spoke the way he did, and that's why John writes what he does in his letter, passages that we'll examine today. So, so as I said earlier, sin has no place in the life of a person forgiven by Jesus. But why? I mean, why is that the case? And first, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1. Um, it's, it's page 1021 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow there. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. Read verses 6 and 7. John writes this, and again, in in verse 5, he has just said, God is light, in him there's no darkness at all. And then verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, now right off the bat, I need to highlight something that shows up here, and we're going to see it again in the other passages that we read. Um, When John speaks of walking in the darkness and walking in the light, um, later on in chapter 3 when he speaks of the practice of sinning and, and keeping on sinning, what John is not talking about, he's not talking about a single sin of which a person repents. He's not talking about even willful sin that, that, that is humbly confessed before God. What, what John speaks of is sin as a habit or a consistent way of living. It's a continuing practice of, of which one has no desire or sees no need to, to have changed, to have removed from them. That's what, that's what John is, is talking about here. Followers of Jesus will sin throughout their life. And that's not to downplay. I'm not trying to downplay or soften sin in any way. Any sin leaves us guilty before God, uh, deserving of punishment apart from Jesus. But we have to understand that what John isn't saying, he's, he's not saying that any time we sin, we ought to seriously call into question our salvation. He's not seeking to sow confusion or doubt among the church. It's quite the opposite, actually. He wants to make it clear, those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. That's what John is desiring here. There would be clarity in that. So so back to these verses specifically. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. The first reality about sin that we see here is that, that it disrupts fellowship. So those who walk in darkness, those whose life is marked by walking in sin, John says, do not have fellowship with God. I mean, in his previous statement, John says, God is light. There is no darkness within him. No darkness. If, if, if we think we can have fellowship with God while walking in the darkness of sin, we are severely mistaken. And, and the Old Testament gives us many, many examples of this as well. If we think about the temple back in the Old Covenant, uh, 
before the high priest could enter into the most holy place, that inner room within the temple, come into the presence of God, have fellowship with God there, he, he had to undergo cleansing for sin. He had to offer sacrifices for sin. There was a literal barrier to fellowship that could not be crossed when sin was present. And go farther back to the Garden of Eden. We see the same thing. Prior to sin, Adam and Eve enjoyed great fellowship with God. They walked in the garden together with him. After sin, they hid from God. They were removed from the garden. And really what it comes down to is there's, there's no compartmentalization when it comes to sin. I can't persist in sin in one area of my life and then put that in a box and expect to have communion with God. If I believe such a thing is possible, then I'm not walking in the truth. And God, God brings this out in the book of Isaiah, the very beginning. Isaiah chapter 1, when he's speaking to his people. I mean, just listen to what he writes here. Chapter 1, verse 12. God says, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, those were the, the festivals that they would uphold. It says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And that's what God is saying, that there's not compartmentalization. The people were living one way, doing really whatever they pleased, and then thought they could come into the temple and worship God and have good communion. And God said, no, no, he says, I hate that. Stop. Uh, in essence, what, what, I, what I do on Tuesday morning, for example, affects my worship here on Sunday morning. What I do on Thursday evening affects my communion with God Friday morning. It, it, it's all connected. Walking in the darkness affects fellowship with God. And, and when John uh, highlights the inverse of that situation, which we're going to see him do uh, multiple times this morning, he actually expands fellowship to also include fellowship with one another. He says in verse 7, when we walk in the light, not only do we have fellowship with God, I think that's implied because he's already talked about it, but he also says we have fellowship with each other. And, and we know this to be true, don't we? I mean, we know it from experience. We've all experienced before how sin has disrupted our relationships with others. For walking in darkness, we, we cannot have true fellowship with each other in Christ. I, you know, the, the Body Life Council could plan the most amazing fellowship event that this church has ever seen, right? One that's talked about for decades to come. But if I'm walking in darkness, 
There's always going to be disruption in my fellowship with others. Even attending such an event or experience cannot overcome that. Or we could have just an amazing small group Bible study. But if I'm walking in the darkness, my attendance at that, it's not going to bring true fellowship with God or with others. Sin disrupts fellowship. That's what John is driving at here. Sin disrupts fellowship. Walking in darkness disrupts fellowship. And so it has no place in the life of a believer. We are called to Christ. We are called to fellowship with him. We are called to have fellowship with one another. And John says that that doesn't happen when we're walking in darkness. So we've got to keep moving this morning. Sin disrupts fellowship. We see that in chapter 1. We also see that sin is disobedience to God. And so again, doesn't have a place in the life of a believer. So look with me at chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you, that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So as before, when, when, when John writes about uh, keeping God's commandments, we, we can't hear him say that those in Christ will never break even a single command in their entire life. And again, it's not to soften or downplay when that happens, but to speak of the reality of it. If we were capable in and of ourselves of keeping every command, if we could uphold the law by ourselves, then Jesus wasted his time in coming to earth. There, there would be absolutely no need for that. Those who know God, those who keep his commands, it's not those who never, ever break one, but who form their life in obedience to God. And I think it's important you know, to highlight when John talks about knowing God, he says that quite a few times here, and again, he's speaking to that Gnostic way of thinking where knowledge is everything. When he talks about knowing God, he's not talking about just a general intellectual knowledge of God. It isn't a matter of, yeah, I know what God did in the Old Testament or, or, or man, I've, I've memorized a, a book from the Torah or something. It's not about that kind of knowledge. No, no, there's great benefit in those things, knowing how God has worked, memorizing his words in Scripture. There's benefit there. But the knowing that John speaks of is the intimate knowledge that comes through relationship, comes through fellowship with God. 
It, it is possible to know about God and not keep his commands. That is entirely possible. But we cannot truly know God and not keep his commands. That is never to be. We cannot truly know God, know him intimately, and not keep his commands. Truly knowing God comes from walking in the same way as he walked, as John writes in verse 6. And so the question, then I, question that comes to my mind is, okay, so, so how, did, how did Jesus walk? If truly knowing God, knowing Christ, is walking as he walked, how did he walk? And I think the answer to that question is the same answer to the question that comes when reading verses 7 and 8, when John talks about this commandment, this old commandment. How, he says it's not new, he says it's old, but then he goes on and says, well, no, it is new as well. So what, what, what is John talking about there? The answer to all those things is the same, and we find it in, uh, in John's gospel in chapter 13. When John is recording for us what took place in the upper room on the night that Jesus would be arrested. In John 13, 34, he says this, and he's, this is Jesus speaking here. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So how did Jesus walk? He walked in love. Uh, that's how he walked. And, and what, is, what is the new, the old and the new command? It, it, it's to love as Jesus loved. Love as Jesus loved. So if we go back to 1 John chapter 2, this command to love as Jesus loved is both old and new, as John writes here. It's old because Jesus had spoken it four, five, six decades before John wrote his letter. So that command has been around for, for a few decades. So it's old in that sense. It's also old because it's the very message that these believers had first received. John says in chapter 3, uh, in the letter here, chapter 3, verse 11, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I mean, John says it, that, that, that's the, the message that you heard. That's why it's old. It was the original message that they heard, that we would love one another. And yet, John says, it's also new. Yeah, it's an old commandment, but it's new as well. Because the way that Jesus loves is so different from the way that fallen humans show love, isn't it? So vastly different. I mean, maybe in our fallen, uh, fallen state, we would... Maybe love others like we love ourselves. But Jesus says, no, love people like I loved them. Love them as I have loved you. you know, maybe in our fallen state we love our friends, but Jesus says, no, love your enemies as I did. So there's a newness to this command that, that John references. Those who intimately know God and consequently intimately know his love We'll keep that command, John says. We'll keep the command to love one another. Um, verse, uh, in verse 8, in chapter 2, verse 8, John says, the darkness is passing away. He says, the true light is already shining. And that's so true. When you think about that in, in an overarching cosmic sense, that is absolutely true. Jesus came into the world as the light, the light of the world, and, and darkness cannot overcome it. 
cannot, even in this dark world that we're in, there's still darkness in our world, the light is continuing to break forth and spread, and it's never going to overcome the light. Darkness is passing away. One day it is going to be completely swallowed up in the light. I mean, we look forward to that day, don't we? So again, in, in a cosmic sense, Yes, darkness is passing away. The true light is already shining. But, but what is true in a cosmic sense must also be true in an individual sense in Christ. If we claim to intimately know the light of the world who has lavished his love upon us and yet the darkness within us is not passing away, we're, we're fooling ourselves. That, that cannot be. And John says it quite clearly in verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. I mean, he's saying light and darkness, they, they, they do not go together. Now, again, in, in Christ, we're, we're going to fall short in our love for one another. We're not going to live out that new command perfectly every single time. Darkness is passing away. The light is shining, but... But God's transformation of us is ongoing, right? There's this continual process that's going to happen till the day we take our last breath. But if I, have, if I have hatred for someone within me and I see no reason at all to love them, the darkness has blinded my eyes. And John would say, are you really in the light? If the darkness is so much a part of who you are, are, are you in the light? I'm not walking in the light in that, in that sense. If I have that hatred and see no reason for that to be removed, I have, John would say, I have no reason to think that I truly know Jesus. And Jesus said, all people will know you are my disciple if you have love for one another. So the love of God showing forth in us, our, our obedience to this old and new command it proclaims and confirms that we are in Christ. It's evidence that we are in Christ. So sin, it affects fellowship. Sin is disobedience to God. And then finally this morning, John just talks about how, how sin is just really flat out incongruent with God. I'm going to break this final passage into two different parts because in it, John talks about the appearing of Jesus four times. Twice he talks about the appearance that is coming, and twice he talks about the appearance of Jesus that has already happened. And so we're going to break it apart according to that. So, so John chapter 2, uh, toward the end of the chapter in verse 28 is where we'll pick it up. And John says, Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, again, looking forward, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who 
thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. So what John says here is that, that those who are in Christ are called children of God. We're children of God. The, the Father's incredible love has been lavished upon us. That's what makes us his children. It, it transforms us. And yet, what we will be, what we will be when Jesus comes, about, comes back, when he returns to this earth, has not yet appeared. God works in the lives of his children each day, continuing to transform us, but our final glorified state, when, when darkness is finally fully eradicated from us, that will not be until our resurrection, which is initiated at the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus appears, then we will be like him in resurrected glory. And I think, I think you know, as John talks about this, I think it's further proof that John does not expect followers of Jesus to live perfect lives immediately upon coming to salvation in Jesus. That from that instant, there is no more, not even one little trace of sin the rest of our lives. We're not going to be perfected until our resurrection in Jesus, as John talks here. But in the midst of that, then, John shifts his attention to, well, but Jesus has already appeared once, and he did something when he appeared. And so he starts talking about that. So if we pick it up, then, in verse 4, where John shifts his focus, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, here's past tense, he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, again past tense, was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is there one who does not love his brother. Sorry, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, we've got to make note John's, John referring to the practice of sinning, to this keeping on sinning. He's speaking of a consistent way of life within a person. He says, you know, to, to make a practice of sinning is to be in league with the devil, not with God. The, the children of, of the devil will, will show themselves to be such. Children of God will show themselves to be such. He says it will be, it will be evident when you just look at, at a person's life. And you know, it got me thinking, um, uh, you know, we hear a lot about AI today, artificial intelligence. Um, and, and there's something that just caught my attention recently that, I don't know, just made me pause and say, man, that's crazy. So, so there's, a, there's a team at... Uh, Case Western Reserve University, which is in Ohio. And this team used AI tools to be able to successfully identify the artist of a painting 
by simply analyzing the brush strokes of the piece of art. So they had four different artists. They, they gave them all identical supplies, brushes, paints, canvas, everything was identically the same. And, and, I, and I believe that they even painted in the same style. But what they did then was they, they inputted the data. They, they took you know, a painting from one and told you know, the computer that, okay, this is this person. And the person, or the, the person, the AI studied it, and okay, and they did that for all four. And, and what happened was then they took then these other paintings, they didn't tell the computer which person painted them. And 95% of the time, that AI computer could, could identify which artist it was just simply by examining the brush stroke. Like the way in which each artist painted, the amount of pressure that they applied to the brush, the, the movement of their arms and hands, even though they weren't thinking about it, I'm sure, it revealed their identity to that computer. Isn't that crazy? It was, it was just obvious. Just the way that they did it, it made it clear. I think what John reminds us is that the way in which we reveal, in which we live our lives reveals our identity. It makes it clear. Whoever, he says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. He says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And John says by this, in verse, uh, verse 10, he says, by this it's evident. Again, he's not, he's not trying to sow confusion or doubt here. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. He says, it will be quite clear. Sin is um, it's incongruent with God because he is light and there's no darkness in him. And so the two do not go together in any way, shape, or form. Jesus, John writes, Jesus appeared in the flesh to take away sins, to destroy the works of the devil. And when a person makes a practice of sinning, they're doing the very things that Jesus came to destroy and remove. And John says that, that that just cannot be. Those who know Christ, those who are in Christ, that cannot be. Now, transparently, man, this, this sermon was, was difficult to put together and, and to deliver. I was talking with Pastor Tim the other day. That it's like, I don't want to say less than what John says, and I don't want to say more than what John says here. I want to make sure I'm getting it right. right? Like my, my goal is not that we all leave here today convinced that we remain in darkness because we've sinned today. John does not say that. I'm, I'm not saying that. I sure hope that you're not hearing it that way. That, that's not what John's saying here. Instead, my goal, and I think what John's goal is here, is that we would rightly understand sin and the seriousness of it and its incompatibility with God. That we would have a clear view of just why God and sin cannot be together. Why God's people and sin cannot be together. So, so for anyone presently walking in darkness, I, I go back to our discussion last week. Because of God's love shown through the Son, the Son of God becoming flesh, dying on the cross, rising from the grave, because of that, we can be brought out of darkness and into the light. 
Our faith in Jesus opens the way for God to do that within us. Sin no longer holds us captive. We're set free in Jesus. That reality, however, is not a license to continue in sin. We have to understand the, the incompatibility between light and darkness, between God and sin. And, and I just, I want to close by reading, um, these are words, words written by Henry Alford. This is back in the mid-1800s in his commentary on 1 John. I just think he says it so much better than I probably can, so I'm just, I just want to let him do his thing as we close this morning. So this is what uh, Henry Alford writes. He says, The plain words of the apostle must be held fast and explained by the analogy of his way of speaking throughout the epistle of the ideal reality of the life of God and the life of sin as absolutely excluding one another. The two are incompatible, and in so far as man is found in the one, he is thereby separated from the other. In the child of God is the hatred of sin. In the child of the devil, the love of it. And every act done in virtue of either state or as belonging to either is done purely on the one side or purely on the other. If the child of God falls into sin, it is an act against nature, deadly to life, hardly endured, and bringing bitter repentance. It is as the taking of a poison which if, it not, which if it be not corrected by its antidote, will sap the very springs of life. Man, I, that really hit me right at the end there. If a child of God falls into sin, it's like a poison that will sap the very springs of life. May that be our perspective of sin as we are guided by the Holy Spirit through John's words to us. It's a poison. It does not lead to life within us. Because we are in Christ, may there be the hatred of sin. In his strength, may we, may we walk in the same way in which Jesus walked, as John writes. May we walk in the light, right? having fellowship, pursuing obedience, abiding in him. God is light, and there's no darkness within him. And when he calls us, when he brings us from darkness into light, there's no place for darkness within us either. Let's stand together. Let's come before God. You and I both know we need his strength in this, don't we? And so let's ask him for that today, that we would walk in the light in his strength. God, as we come to you, we worship you for bringing us from darkness into light, something we can never do on our own. We can spend our whole life trying, and it would never happen. Jesus, it's only in you that that transformation takes place within us. We're so thankful for it. God, would you give us the right perspective? Would you give us the strength 
wisdom, humility, that we need to walk as you walked, not walking in darkness, but walking in the light. And God, we're going to stumble. We know that. I'm grateful for the song we sang this morning, that your mercy is more. In those times where we do, when we fall into something that's contrary to our new nature in you, there's mercy and there's forgiveness. God, bring us back to that each and every time. And God, if there's any of us walking in darkness this morning, reveal that to us. Make it clear to us. Shine your light in our lives that we might see that and be brought into your light. God, I'm so thankful that you've done that for us. That's why we worship you, why we gather together this morning. God, may your love be seen more and more each and every day in our lives. We might love others as you love us. God, we're thankful this morning. I thank you that you are pure and that you are holy and that you are doing that good work within us through your Son. I pray all this in your name. Amen.